You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. All right, James chapter 1 is where we're going to be tonight. And um, you said you probably were thinking, well, you know, we already had a long service. That wasn't me. They all took up that time. So that's, that's not my fault. Okay. But, I mean, I, those testimonies, were, they were gold tonight. And um, I'm thankful for our young people. They're, they're soft hearts to the Lord. And that means a lot. And, and then for the financial peace testimonies as well. Um, and there are some, there were some things said in both of those um, that I think will help us tonight, you know, just as we think about this truth. And, I'll, and I will be trying to be mindful of the time as we, as we go. James chapter 1, and uh, we're going to be back in the same verses we were at a, a, a couple weeks ago. And so let's stand together in honor of the reading of the scripture tonight. And we'll read um, a few verses here, beginning in verse 22, just down through verse 25. Same text we were in last time. Last time we were here, we saw that the Bible is our mirror. And it is our response to God's word that determines how clearly we continue to see ourselves. And if we do not, if, if we respond to God's word without doing, then we add a layer of deceit on the mirror and we don't see ourselves very clearly. And so, uh, you, you know, and as I considered that truth, I thought we need some more time with this. So tonight is going to be more of a review, but also an application. And I'd like to just spend some time maybe walking through the process of how to become a doer. Because we're good at hearing. And yet we're not often good at doing. So I'd like to look at the why. Now we've, we've looked at the why and what, but we'll also give attention to the how. Look at verse 22. It says, but be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer... He is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass, where he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed." And as I sat here and I listened to Brother Jonah give his testimony tonight. And he was talking about uh, YouTube. And he heard a message about how we ought to filter our minds from the things that come into our minds. I, I believe out of Philippians chapter 4. And the Lord, the Holy Spirit convicted him. Seven, Jonah, are you 17? Okay, 17 going on 14, Jonah. And 17 years old. And yet Jonah knows that if God has spoken to him about filtering his mind, then he needs to take a step and do something. So he deleted YouTube. And you know, we're adults in here, and many of us have lived our whole lives, and we hear messages and we say, great message. And then as soon as we leave the doors, we go and we don't do anything about it. We have something to learn from Jonah tonight. Jonah, I'm thankful for your example. Because he wasn't just a hearer, he was also a doer. Which means, in the end, if he'll continue to have that kind of spirit about God's word, this man will be blessed in his deed. 
And I'm thankful for that example. I want to look at a few things tonight that I hope will be a help. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you bless the reading of your word and that you bless our time together. We love you and we need you tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. You ever look back on a moment in your life that you wish you'd handled differently? I think we all have those. You know, something maybe that you wish you hadn't said. Or maybe something you wish you had said. You ever replay scenarios in your mind and somebody said something to you. And about an hour later you're like, oh, I've got the perfect comeback. How did I not think about that in the moment? Something maybe you regret doing, if only I could go back. Something you didn't do and you wish you, you had done and you wish you could go back and do it. And some, maybe some impulsive action. I think our young people would relate to this tonight. I remember as a young person doing impulsive things and later thinking, why did I do that? You know, I remember one time, it is, must have been maybe six or seven years ago, I was driving uh, or I was in the parking lot with my wife and and we were we were about to leave the church there and 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 I we were in the suburban of course you're high up in the suburban and somebody um, had parked their car entirely too close to the suburban it was all their fault okay because of where they parked I didn't see it I got in the car in the suburban my wife was on that side and and uh, and then she didn't warn me either so it's halfway her fault too I'm just looking to blame somebody because I'm self-deceived about this still apparently. I started pulling out and didn't see the car and I cut it real hard to the right. And it was in the church parking lot, so it's a church member, of course. So I felt a bump. And rather than stop where I was, I was like, uh, I said, well, you know, I've, I've got to get past this. I don't, know, I don't know what just happened. I wasn't thinking. And I just kept right on going and, and just kind of... Took, took out their bumper, took out the side of the Suburban. If I had stopped where I was, it would have just been maybe a dent. And then, yet I made it worse by what I was doing. And as soon as I did it, I was like, what was I thinking? Why didn't I stop where I was? I know none of you have ever done anything like this. And, and, and now I, I look like the dumbest guy in the room. But, you know, I think we all have incidents like that in our lives. Where, why, why would I do that? Uh, why, why didn't I just stop what I was doing? And if I could just go back to that moment, I would do that moment differently. And, and, you, and you say, well, you know, those are the important moments in life. Those are the moments that really matter when it comes to, you know, the, the things. If I, if I could just make that change and go back and, re, and, and do that over. Yeah, I think about, uh, I heard a story about this, uh, the, an internet, uh, an internet, um, browser a uh, search engine in the 90s called excite i don't know if you remember excite you know and it's not really well known but in the late 90s it was it was a true uh, internet search engine and and they were doing well at the time and and in that in that time somebody came to them a, a small search engine that that hadn't had a lot of success yet but they had an opportunity to buy out this other search engine for $750,000 and at that point, it seemed like it was too much and too, too, too much price to pay. And so they passed on it. And you think, well, maybe that's a good decision. It's a lot of money until you find out later that that search engine was called Google. And Google today is worth well over a trillion dollars. 
That would have been $750,000 well invested in 1999, but Excite missed out on the opportunity, and Excite is no longer a company today. You know, you think about moments like that, and you think, man, I hope that I don't miss a moment like that, because that's a big moment. That's a moment that really matters. And yet, I would contend with you tonight that there are moments in your life more important than that. There are, there are moments in your life where you're faced with a decision and especially those things that, that could alter your spiritual future, those are more important than a moment that might make you a billionaire. Because those, you know, the, the moments that affect us spiritually are more important than the moment that might make us wealthy. And maybe you say, well, I don't really believe that, except when you die, you'll think that. Because the money that you make and the money that you have in your retirement account when you die, that's not going to help you anymore. But the decisions that you made that help your spiritual life will. And, and listen, one of the most important moments that, that we face in our lives, it happens to us all the time. And that is the moment that we hear God's word. The moment that we're confronted with a truth from God's word, the moment that we see ourselves in that spiritual mirror, because that moment determines whether or not we're blessed or we're deceived. It is in that moment that our spiritual success and our spiritual future is determined, and that spiritual impact is bigger than any moment that could have made you rich. Because your spiritual life is more important than your wealth. And the moment you hear God's word is the most important decision point you will face in your life. And you say, well, I don't know about that. There's a lot of big decisions. Well, let me just give you an example. What about salvation? Because the Bible says in Romans 10, 17, you know it. So then what? So then faith cometh by what? Hearing and hearing by the word of God. You're, so if you say, well, I don't know if that's true, that the m most important decision points in our lives are when we're confronted with God's word. Well, I would contend with you and say, if salvation is one of those, those decision points that, that, that makes a difference on how you respond to God's word, then, then when you're hearing God's word, when you're confronted with God's word, that is the most important moment of your life. And it doesn't just happen at salvation. It happens all the time. We, we hear God's word all the time. We're confronted with God's word all the time. And so you better know how to treat that moment. You better understand how to deal with the moment that you are a hearer. Because what we find here in James 1 is if you simply hear, but you don't make a transition to doing, then you are deceived. So he said, be you doers of the word. We looked at this last time and Christian maturity doesn't just take place because we listened well. Now, listening matters. It's important. You, that's where doing starts. But James already dealt with how to listen well. Back up when he said, be, be, be swift to hear, slow to speak, those things. No, hearing has to happen for your maturity. But a Christian's not mature until, he, until hearing becomes doing. So bear with me as we, as we go through some review here. I just want to remind you what the text is about. The Christian life is more than information. It's transformation. 
And very often we're very interested in hearing and we're interested in hearing, you know, different facts. And, and Brother Michael Robinson has, you know, he and I, he comes and tells me all these things that he's found in his study. And, and I appreciate it. It's, it is interesting stuff. Um, but we have to be careful that we don't just assume that the more information we have, as soon as we hear and learn, that's all we need. No, hearing should produce change. Hearing should become doing. You can fill your brain with theological facts, but that does not equal maturity. It's the difference between students and auditors. See, in a, in a, in a school setting, students have obligations. If you're a student and you're enrolled in a class, you have to turn in your homework or you will, you'll, you'll get a bad grade. You have to do your tests, take your tests, or, or you're going to have a bad grade. You have to do the projects. You have to get involved. An auditor can sit there and listen. They don't have any obligations. And I was thinking about the, the auditor, the auditor and the student, the difference. And I think we have churches that are filled with auditors and not students. And I'm not saying that's an indictment on East Side, but I wouldn't be surprised if we have some that are more auditors than they are students. I've been at times an auditor more than I am a student. And you say, and the smart aleck tonight might say, well, this is an auditorium. Now, I just, want you to pay, I just want you to notice, our signs out here say sanctuary. So I use sanctuary. Because an auditorium is a place for listeners, and we're not supposed to just be listeners. See, this is a place to listen but, but you know what, I think if we're going to use a term and we can come to maybe a, a compromise on this, I think we should just kind of throw out auditorium because that's just listening. And I think we should, we should rename it duatorium. I'm serious about this. I mean, I've already filed it with whoever needs to have that filed. And that's, it's, I mean, that word is my word now. So, you know, I own the rights to that. Duatorium. How about anybody for that? Okay, one guy. Okay, so that's a bad idea then. But I like it. Because I do think that an auditorium is a place for listeners. But here at Eastside, we don't want to just be listeners. We want to be doers. And we want this to be a place where we listen. But we want that listening to turn into doing. We want to leave and do. Because the final amen is just the beginning. Hearers only are deceived. We want to take what we hear and do something with it. We've got to treat God's word like a mirror. The Bible reveals to us what we truly are, and it's not always pleasant. And I was walking down the hall. I went to get the mirror. I'm not going to use it probably now because if I, as soon as I set it up, then all everybody does is look at themselves, and so I don't want to do that. But I picked it up, and now Josiah uh, and I were walking back there. And, where's Josiah? There he is. Okay. Hi. So Josiah and I were walking, and, and I looked at the mirror, and I said, oh, and I pointed it at him, and it said, that's a lot better. said, I got too many wrinkles, had too much gray hair, and he said all the things about himself that he doesn't like, you know, and I'm like, ah, you know, it's still better than this, you know. Because, but that's true in that when we look in a mirror, all we see is the flaws. Right. And we focus on, I mean, it, it, you may have things about you that you just hate. Nobody else has ever noticed it. You know, but it's all we can see sometimes. And so there are times where we'd rather not look in the mirror. You know, the Bible gets that way too. Because when we hear preaching and it convicts us and we don't like what we see, there are times that we can just say, well, I don't want to look in that mirror anymore. 
I don't want to hear what it has to say. I don't want to see what it, what it shows me. I, it's no fun. And so many people have no plan to deal with it when they look in the mirror. They don't, they'd rather not deal with it. A lot of people just glance at it, then they go their way because they don't want to see it. There are plenty of people that they do look, but they forget, the Bible says. And they, they see it, but maybe they get distracted and they forget and they move on. There are some that see it and they just don't want to obey it. So they don't. And there, those responses, though, if you look in the mirror and you see something you don't like, but you don't change anything, then those responses lead to deception. Every time we respond without doing, we add another layer of deception that distorts how clearly we see ourselves in the mirror. And you know what? I would say that many of us often have a pattern of self-deception. We hear a message about our walk with God and we're convicted, but halfway through the message, an alert comes out on my phone, which I'm going to say this again. I've said it before and I believe it strongly. And if you want to talk about it, fine. But I believe you ought to have a Bible in your hand when you come to church. You know, there, you use your phone. And listen, I, I use my iPad at times, usually, a lot of times to read my Bible in the mornings. But there have been plenty of times where, where I get distracted by some alert on my iPad. And you know what? And the truth is I do things on my iPad that are just not anything. They don't have anything to do with church. And, and, and I want a Bible in my hands. Right. I want to encourage you. Listen, there's a lot of places that they're going to devices. Let's, let's bring our Bibles. You know, and that's not, it's not a spiritual rule. It's not like if you don't bring your Bible that you can't love and serve God. But I think it should be, it might be a distinction these days. We might be known as the church where they still carry Bibles to church. And I wouldn't have a problem with that. You know, so, you know, have a Bible, you know, you, you hear a message about your walk with God and you, and you hear about uh, how you, you know, you really are convicted and yet you get a distracted halfway through. And you start thinking about bills. You start thinking about, you know, lunch. And you think about what you've got to do this week. And, and, and you forget and you leave. It's a layer of deceit. Or maybe you hear a message about our need to reach the lost. And we, you might even respond at invitation. But after church, you've got a meeting. And so-and-so is coming over. And, and you immediately get distracted as soon as you leave the doors. And you forget what you saw. It, it's a layer of deceit. No wonder so many of our hearts are hardened to God's word. I'm not, this is not an indictment. I'm telling you what James says is a danger for all of us. We are indifferent, we are forgetful, we're disobedient, we look, we leave, we get deceived. The, and, and listen, the more truth we hear, the more likely we are to be deceived. And that means people in this room. And here's why, because I assume, and most of you are, you're at every service. And if you're not in the service, you're listening or watching. I believe that most people in this room, uh, on a daily basis, you're trying to read your Bible. I believe that most people in this room, you're trying to have devotions. I believe most people in this room probably have other preachers and sermons you listen to. I believe most people in this room have people that you talk to about God's word. And so, listen, you've got a lot of Bible intake. You've got a lot of God's word coming into you all the time. And you know what that means? It means that you are either prime for growth or you're prime for deception. And if you re don't respond to the truth that you hear with, by doing, the Bible says that you are primed to be deceived. One of the most important things you'll ever do 
is learn how to treat the moment you hear God's word. Your response to that moment determines whether your life is blessed or your life is deceived. Doers look and linger and they're blessed. Deceived look and leave. And I want to be blessed. Listen, I, I don't want to be deceived. I want, I want to take seriously every time I hear God's word because if my, my future spiritual blessings are dependent on it, I better take it seriously. So what needs to happen in the moment of hearing for me to avoid being deceived? Well, responding is a start. And I believe there's enough truth in every message that a response could be valid. Listen, we, we, and I'd love to, love to get to this place with our young people where we have our young guys. I mean, we've got some that are called to ministry. You know what? They, you know what they need to start doing? They need to start preaching. They need to get opportunities. They, and I'm not saying that, we, that, you know, that they have authority. I'm not saying that, that they, uh, they've necessarily earned the right to stand before us. I'm not making it bigger than it is. But if God has called some of these young men and God's called any of you to preach, then the best way to learn is to stand before people and preach. And we want to give them opportunities to do, that, to do that. Listen, the least experienced and youngest young man in the youth group could stand up here and read one verse. And in that verse, there'd be enough truth to respond to. We, that's, uh, responding to the messages is where it starts. But that's not all. Remember, because a message doesn't end it. Amen. So how can I be the best doer I can be? Well, here's, here, I've got just two simple thoughts tonight. And, and number one is this, doers make plans. Doers make plans. And you say, well, that's not even worth writing down. Well, I think that's part of the problem. Because we hear met truth, and you know what we want? We want something that... We want something we've never heard before. I'm telling you, from this preacher, you're not going to hear anything you've never heard before. I'm going to try to preach God's word to you. And and there will be times where it's going to be really simple, like tonight. But the reason that we aren't changed is because we leave. We want something to blow our minds. And if it doesn't, we're like, okay, that was fine. And we leave. But sometimes we need to just get very practical. And we need to make a plan with what we hear. It's one thing to respond emotionally to the message or emotionally to conviction, but that only gets you to the end of a service. A plan gives you something to do after that. Which, by the way, if you'll notice in my preaching, I don't major on trying to tell stories that tug at everybody's heartstrings. Now, there may be times where that happens, but the reason I do that is because when I've done that, and I have done that before, and I've seen people respond, and and, and like with young people especially, in large numbers, but after the service is over, I realize they're just responding to an emotional story. And there may be times where an illustration is, is necessary and it helps that. And there may be times where we use that. But I don't want to be that to be our steady diet. Here's what a mature church does. A mature church is okay if a pastor just gets up and preaches the text and preaches the truth and lays it out there. Because a mature church says, you know what, that truth, I need that truth. And I don't have to be fed emotionally to respond to something because truth is enough for me. That's what we want. We don't, we don't want to be a church that has to have something coded a certain way or, or painted a certain way. If, if it's true, it's worthy of response. 
You know, let's, so a plan gives you something to do. It, it lays it out what you need to do. I'm just going to use the illustration of building a house. And, you, you know, you get, maybe you decide. You and uh, maybe, you know, our, my wife and I, when we built, we got excited about it. You know what, when we, got, when we built in Oklahoma, we got excited and we didn't say, I'm going to go build a house, let's go. We didn't go out to the property and just start building with what we f- could find. Uh, and, you know, what, what did we do next? Well, the first thing we, we should have done is renewed our wedding vows because they were tested. <laughs> That's step one, okay. Step two, though, is you need to sit down and you need to make a plan. See, you don't go to the lumber store. If you're like, well, we need a house for, you know, seven people. Let's go to the lumber store and buy two-by-fours. No, we didn't do that. I would have no idea how many to buy. You start with a house plan. And you go through the house plan, and then you find somebody that can, that can draw those plans for you and, and lay it all out, somebody with experience. Then you give those floor plans to a builder, and you make sure that builder follows them. And fortunately for us, in our, uh, we knew people that could do each of those things every step along the way, or it would not have gotten done, because I don't know how to do that stuff. You know, we've got people here that can do that stuff. But if you don't have a plan for something that big, it's not going to work. I don't know if you've ever heard of the Winchester House in San Jose, California. Uh, Sarah Winchester, years ago, married into the Winchester family, you know, rifles. And, and her husband died and left her um, a large amount of money in those days. I think about $20 million back in the mid to early 1800s. A lot of money. Well, she had a hard life. Her, her husband died and she had a, a child die and she, and she was just really struggling mentally. She went to, to somebody, a, a medium a, in, in somewhere and they told her that, uh, you know, if, if you want to really make your life count, you need to start building a house and don't stop till you die. So she started building a house there in San Jose, the Winchester house. And if you've ever seen it, it's, it's amazing because it doesn't make any sense. I mean, you, there are rooms that make, you know, some rooms make sense, but then there are doors that open to a wall. And there are stairs that go up to the ceiling. They don't end anywhere. Because she was constantly building, but she was building with no plans. And so her house doesn't make any sense. And see, we say, well, that's silly. But in our spiritual lives, that's kind of how we approach it sometimes. We say, well, this is what I want to do, but we don't ever lay out what we're going to do. And what we end up with is something that doesn't really make sense. It's not what we were looking for. Listen, you need a plan if you want to be a doer. Whether or not you're blessed or you're deceived is determined by how you respond to what you hear. And I'm telling you, this is bigger than a house. And this is bigger than starting a business. And this is bigger than building your wealth because your spiritual life is at stake. Don't just respond to preaching. Make a plan to do something with what you've heard. Don't just take notes. Make plans. Doers make plans. But second, doers make specific plans. You know, we're really good at generalizations. We're not very good at specifics. Uh, You don't just go start a business. You need a plan. You don't just conquer worry, the sin of worry. I mean, on Wednesday nights, we've, we've been talking about anxiety and fear and those things. No, what you have to do is you discover the root of your unbelief, and then you find a truth to counter that, and you don't let go of that truth. That's a lot different than saying, I'm going to conquer the sin of worry. No, you need a plan more specific than that. You don't just go out and, you know, do something. You've got to start somewhere. Let's use the example of financial peace. 
You know, the, the financial peace class, we heard a lot of good testimonies even tonight. Listen, when, so when you make a decision, let's just use an example. You make a decision that you're going to get out of debt. So though, then all you do is you say, I'm going to get out of debt. And if that's all you say, you know, the chances of you getting out of debt are pretty low. Because there are no actionable steps by saying, I'm going to get out of debt. Now, that may be motivation, but that's not a plan. I mean, Dave Ramsey, he gives the seven baby steps. You know, $1,000 emergency fund, uh, pay off your credit cards, pay off your debt, pay three to six months of expenses, start putting 15% into your retirement and, and all of those things. He's got, uh, you know, children's college and, and pay off your house and then give and, and those things. I mean, they're good, good. But, you know, even those steps aren't specific. They're, they're good, I mean, but part of that's what part of the class is for. You know, you go through and you get specifics in the class. But if all you do is say, my seven baby steps are this, $1,000 emergency fund. Okay, I've already got that. Now pay off my debt. There's my plan. No, you've got to get more specific than that even. I mean, how specific? Well, a lot of times if you think about what you're going to do in terms of time. For instance, you say on Monday night at 7 p.m., Every week, my wife and I are going to sit down and we're going to either start a budget or we're going to go over our budget and look at our, our expenditures for the week and track those. That's a plan. That's specific. Uh, you say, when I get paid this Friday, I will immediately then apply this much money to that credit card bill. That's a plan. Why? Because you're attaching an element of time to it. Uh, you might say, I'm gonna, every time I'm tempted to go out to eat, I'm going to stop and I'm going to look at my savings account balance. That's a plan. If you're going to pay off your debts, you've got to be, get that specific. You might say, and they talk about this in financial peace, you might even say something like, every time I'm tempted to spend money, if it's over $20, I'm going to call my wife first. That's a plan. And that's not something any of, any of us want to do, but that's a plan. You see, the difference here is uh, get out of debt has no time frame. There's no actionable specific steps. But when I get paid has a time frame. Or when I'm feeling hungry, that has a time frame. Uh, you know, though you've got to set some things up that are specific. You, you don't just make a plan. You make a specific plan. Well, you say, okay, walking with God. We heard some young people talk about that today, walking with God. And we all want to walk with God more closely, but is that really a plan? Well, let me ask you, how do you literally walk with God? I mean, the, you start thinking about it in specifics and it gets a little bit harder. No, what you have to do is you have to go from, I want to walk with God, this big picture, to when my alarm goes off, I will immediately stand up, turn off my alarm, and go to the kitchen and make coffee. This is extreme Christianity now. Or maybe you need a, night's, a, a, a night alarm and at 10 o'clock every night I've got an alarm that goes off that says if I don't, I'm not in bed in 15 minutes um, then my, and my wife gets to throw water on my face or something. No, I'm, that's specific. And sometimes you know what? Sometimes we need an alarm at night to go to bed. The reason that you're not getting up in the morning to read your Bible and pray and spend time with the Lord is because we're going to bed too late. Make a plan. You could say something like this. I will not snooze my alarm clock. Say, now don't you even dare talk about that. No, something specific is I'm going to get out of bed every time I turn my alarm clock off. How? 
Well, that means you have to put your alarm clock or your phone far enough from your bed that you have to get out of bed to go turn it off. And even then, some of us will, will like lean our torso out and we're hanging off the end of the bed to try to reach it without falling off the bed. No, you need to put your, and I'm being serious, you need to put that phone, if that's your alarm clock, far enough away that you have to get out of bed to turn it off. Uh, you know, walking with God usually doesn't start with, I'm going to walk with God. No, it starts with, I'm going to put my phone, my alarm clock, far enough away from my bed that I have to get out of bed to go turn it off. And then, once that happens, you need a plan to say, I'm going to go walk over, turn off my alarm clock. And my first step after that is I go to the bathroom and I splash cold water right in my face. I, I, know, I know this seems really basic. But this is how we ought to approach the preaching of God's word. Because otherwise, these ideas, they just stay out in in space somewhere and they're intangible and they're not real no we need specific steps we need to be specific about what we're doing I'm specific is at 6 30 every morning I have to be in the chair where I read my bible with a cup of coffee in my hand and my bible or or I pay brother Chad five dollars every morning that doesn't happen brother Chad's all for that and you say, well, that's just extreme. You know what? Some of the best things I've ever accomplished in my life were because I knew somebody else would know if I didn't do it. And when I, when I Brother Samuel and I, uh, a few years ago, I think 2016 or 15, um, he was still in school, in high school, and we ran a half marathon. You know, there are a lot of mornings that I woke up and I didn't want to go to the lake and run. But I knew that Brother Samuel, you know, 16, 17 years old, was so weak. He could not be at the lake by himself and be protected. <laughs> he needed somebody to protect him as he ran around the lake in the dark. And you know what? It got me out of bed. Because I knew that he would know about it. Listen, if you really want to walk with God and you struggle with it, you know what you need to do? You need to get somebody else to help you with it. And you say, no, three days a week at 12.15, you're at lunch, I'm at lunch. Three days a week, I want you to text me or call me and ask me if I read my Bible this morning. And if I know they're going to text me at 12.15, then at 6.30 that morning, I'm thinking, I better get up and read my Bible. I don't want them to text and me have to say, no, I didn't. No, how many years have you said, I need to walk with God but more closely and never done anything about it? You know what, it's time. It's time to make a plan. It's time to get specific. Uh, how about being a better witness? You know, here's, here's a, you know, you don't just say, I want to be a better witness. No, you say, I'm going to ask this person to help me learn the Romans road. And then I'm going to ask them to meet me at Saturday, Saturday morning at 10 o'clock at the church. Because if I know they're going to invest in time to help me learn it, and I know they're going to be at the church Saturday at 10 o'clock, then I'm going to be there. You know, to make a plan is to say, I'm going to give my testimony to my coworker by Thursday puts time to it you know to make a plan is to say I'll present the gospel to somebody by the end of the week that is going to happen here's a plan a plan is not I'm going to be a better witness no a plan is every Sunday night I'm going to go to the track rack and I'm going to take 10 tracks for the week and I'm going to hand every one of those out to somebody with a face and you say why a face because you know I think sometimes the cop out is well, I'm going to leave this in the in the stall in the bathroom in the public restroom 
or I'm going to leave it at the table, which that's fine. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. But listen, if you put something specific on it, like I'm going to hand this to somebody with a face, I'm telling you, a personal invitation means a lot more than somebody picking up a piece of paper off the table. And, and we need to get that specific. Uh, to be a better witness doesn't start by being a better witness. It starts by you saying, I'm going to hand this many out every week. Every decision that you make when you look in the mirror of God's word needs these kinds of specifics. You don't start by conquering anger. You might start by counting to ten. Which some of us need to do. You don't start by conquering anger. You might start by taking a walk. Which sometimes we need to do. Listen, you don't start by overcoming lust. You might start by giving somebody who loves you the passcode to your phone and having them remove the web browser off of your phone so that in the, and the ability to download any apps. You say, well, this really got serious. No, I'm getting specific. You say, that's really extreme. Well, okay, well, how important is your purity to you? Because we're talking about doing tonight. We're not talking about hearing and going our way. We're talking about doing something with what we've heard. You don't start by getting along with the per, that person that, that you've never gotten along with. You, know, you don't start by just getting along with them. No, you might start by going to them and asking them to forgive you for you not treating them like a Christian should treat them. You, you don't start by having a better marriage. You might start by scheduling two date nights a month and refusing to break them. You don't start by fixing your, your child's attitude. You start by consistently correcting them. And when they talk back or have the wrong spirit, that's where you start. You don't start by running a marathon. You start by taking steps. One step at a time. And maybe it's a quarter mile the first day and a little further the next day. No, you've got to be that specific when it comes to your spiritual decisions. Be specific. Make it measurable. Make it easy to tell if you've succeeded or not. You see, listen, if I say I want to walk with God better and in two months I go back, how do I measure that? But if I give specific actionable steps to my, to my doing, then I can go back and I can actually measure whether or not I succeeded at those things. And you say, well, what does this have to do with God's word and being a doer? Everything. See, James didn't say the problem with not doing is always spiritual. Because God's word is doing a work in somebody's heart. They're seeing themselves clearly. The problem was not that they weren't responding when it came. The problem is that after the message or after they heard, they walked away and they forgot. So the problem here is not necessarily spiritual. The problem is practical. They forgot what manner of person they were. And we discount practical preaching because we want something big and we want something emotional and we want something that moves us and inspires us. I get it. I want that too. But at some point, I have to go from abstract to concrete. I have to go from intangible to tangible. I have to go from invisible to visible. If God does the transforming spiritual work on my heart through the preaching, I must do the tedious practical work on my body by making a plan. He does the work in our hearts. But I at that moment then know that my work is just beginning. This is not discounting the Holy Spirit, by the way. No, this all starts by hearing God's word. But the doing must be done Practically, or the truth just remains theory. 
God's work through his word is spiritual. My response to his work is practical. So let me give you just a few practical tips on how to make a plan. And that this will help you become a better doer. Number one, sit, think, and write it out. Sit, think, write it out. And you may not have time during an invitation to do this, but you need to make this part of your plan. And when I get home, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to write out what God spoke to me about and I'm going to make a plan. You know, this is the step to being a doer. You say, this is not necessary. Well, I don't know about you, but every truth I've ever heard, I haven't actually taken home and done something with. So I need something beyond just an emotional response in the preaching. I need to sit down, I need to write it out, I need to think about it. We have, you know, far too many of us have things coming in our ears all the time. We've got music, we've got movies, we've got Netflix, we've got noise. It'd be good for some of us to turn everything off and just sit and think. And write out a plan on how to implement the truth that we've heard. Number two, make your plan realistic. Make it realistic, I'm telling you. You might say, I'm going to lose 20 pounds by the end of the week. Probably not. If it's unreasonable, I wrote I, my, in my notes, it says unreasonable equals discouraged. Because if you give yourself goals that you can't attain in a reasonable amount of time, you're going to get discouraged. Now, 20 pounds in a, in a week, probably not going to happen. 20 pounds in three months, that's doable. It's much more reasonable. Number, so sit and think and write. Make your plan realistic. Make it measurable. If you add an element of time to your plan, you can measure it. Meaning, okay, if your plan is every Monday night at 7 o'clock, we're going to sit, and as a spouse, as a married couple, we're going to sit and have a budget meeting. We're going to look at our receipts. We're going to look at our account balances. We're going to talk about these things. Now, listen, if you get to Friday and you didn't do it, you know what you can say? We failed. Because you had a time element to it, then it's measurable now. So put a time element to it. Make it measurable. Put dates, put times, put times of day, put instances. I mean, put when I want to do this, have that trigger something else. Make it measurable. Number, number four. So sit, think, and write. Make your plan realistic, measurable. Number four, check your progress. Either once a week or every few days or a couple times a month, however many times it takes, you need to examine and see how you're doing. It needs to be that specific. Number five, ask somebody to help you. Ask somebody to help you. So sit, think, and write. Make it realistic. Make it measurable. Check your progress and ask somebody to help. And, you know, I'm just, I'm just going to read some verses in Galatians to you. Galatians 6. This is Paul writing. and He says, brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. You know what that shows me is that it, Paul is telling these churches in Galatia, you need, to be a, you need to be connected enough to each other's lives that you know when somebody's not doing very well. Which, you know what that means? That means that some of us who have built walls, these spiritual walls, letting everybody, making everybody think we've got it all together, there's gotta be, there needs to be somebody in your life that those walls come down in front of. So they know you, you don't have it all together. You know, the truth is, we all know we don't have it all together. We all know that it's not everything, we, we're not everything we need to be yet. So have somebody that you can be that transparent with. 
Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted, bear ye one another's burdens. You know, it's the responsibility of a local church family to help each other bear the burdens that we carry. It's okay to let somebody else in sometime. It's okay to let somebody else know that you're struggling. I'm telling you, this is a key to you doing what you need to do. Is that you need help, you get help. And I'm not even talking about psychology. I'm not talking about counseling. I'm talking about a friend. Somebody who will help you stay accountable. Bear you one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And, look, and what he says in verse 3 is this. For if a man thinketh, think himself to be something when he is nothing, it says he deceiveth himself. Does that sound familiar? Sounds very familiar to what we just read in James chapter 1. And what, what, what Paul writes there is if, we, if you'll get together and get some help from somebody, your chances of being deceived are a lot lower. You know why? Because if I've got somebody that loves me and knows me, they can see my blind spots like I can't see them. James 1 is all about blind spots. Where we think we're something and we're not. And if you just try to live the Christian life without any help, there's not going to be anybody there to help you and tell you, hey, listen, I see this. You don't see it, but it's obvious to me. And you need somebody that you know loves you and that trusts you and you need to open up yourself to them and let, let some walls down, let them in and let them be a help to you because self-deception is a very real problem in the Christian life. And I know this kind of preaching Practical help may feel less inspirational, maybe less significant to you, but some of us have gone our entire Christian lives without ever making a plan to do something about a message. I mean, I, I really believe there are probably people in, there, in this room, maybe your whole Christian life, you've never written down a plan on what to do after a message. And if you have, it's never been specific. And for the most part, little has ever been done. And layers of deceit upon layers of deceit are on your mirror. Here's the truth we need to take away. If you haven't made a specific plan, you haven't fully responded to the message yet. If you haven't made a specific plan, you haven't fully responded to the message yet. And I, I don't know that we realize how essential this truth is to people that hear lots of preaching. You must make a plan with what you hear or you will be deceived. So because you've heard and you've heard and you've heard and in, in the habit of hearing and seeing yourself in the mirror, if you're not doing anything about it when you leave, you will be deceived. If you haven't made a specific plan, you haven't fully responded to the message yet. So use that however you will. I think probably there's some things that we need to change upon hearing God's word. That moment is more important than you think. Let's stand together. Appreciate your attention. I know it's been a longer service tonight. But these kind of messages are things that I think probably are more helpful, more foundational, more transformational than we realize. Because I, I don't know about you, I don't want to live a deceived life. I don't want to live, get down to the end of it and think, wow, I didn't realize that I was that deceived. And my response 
to hearing God's word is going to be what makes the difference. So when you respond to God's word, how specific is it? Do you make a plan? Are you a doer or are you a hearer only? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth. I thank you for uh, the attention your people gave. And Lord, I know a longer service and yet such an important truth. I, I thank you for it. Pray that you'd help us to get specific tonight. Help us to make some changes, even about how we hear God's word and what we do once we hear it. Lord, I pray that you'd speak to us and give us some help this evening through this principle in Jesus' name. Amen. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.